0: And this week, we bring you the story of an average Joe with average problems that end with a deranged conclusion. Tired of hearing the same stories that you understand the context of already? We'll get some rest from it with this week's Factor Fable. We call this one Sleep On It. Joe Mitchell was your average, family-oriented American dad. The once young, rambunctious ladies' man was now about a decade and a half away from scoring a senior discount. It took him a while before he'd begun to even consider settling down. The first genuine thought crossed his mind in his late thirties. He'd just met a hypnotic woman, extraordinary in fact. He recognized right away the feelings were different she would have had to have been extraordinary to break the sort of groundhog day cycle that saw him awaken in confusion beside a new fling every other morning before fleeing dozens of houses he was too inebriated to even remember entering. This lady, unlike most others, seemed to suffocate the who's next mentality that normally bullied its way into his mind after just a few dates. His prospective wife, Christine Perellini began to point out the little patches of gray starting to invade his follicles just after a handful of dates. He thought this might be her way of dropping a veiled hint that she was ready for something more. No doubt they were getting older, and he found himself calculating how old he might be for a child's graduation. He considered it might be time to put the brakes on the reckless nightlife and partying. He was getting too old for that stuff, and was long overdue to start pondering what his future should look like with his recently acquired vixen. The only thing he could salvage from the decades of debauchery was that he'd certainly seen plenty of houses. He felt like he knew exactly what he wanted, and it would be easy to parlay his experience being a man-whore and use it to identify the best fit for them. It didn't take them long to settle in Durham, just a few hours away from where he'd grown up and start a family together. They'd even found a place with an extra small in-law apartment above the garage that Christine's father, Pete, could stay in. It would be nice to have him around. Joe thought that he was a swell guy. Also, with them having kids on the way, it would be perfect to have another good role model slash potential babysitter around for the children. It all happened so quickly it felt like time travel. He woke up one day with aching bones, two sons and a daughter. The kids grew fast. His youngest, Blake, was four years old, but coming up to five quickly. He had a beautiful blend of his father and mother's features. A cute kid, his caramel complexion and brown eyes invited the envy of others as he walked about constantly picking out his wavy afro. His older brother, Devin, and sister, Lexi, had both hit double digits already, but Blake was still quite mature for his age, the sort of child that just absorbs everything around him. All of the kids had the same favorite holiday, and it was just a little over a month away. Halloween was that brief annual period where you could be something different, even if it was just for a day. They'd all created various tricks in an effort to scare each other and share macabre stories that they knew or had crafted. It was tradition, time-honored, and something they obsessively looked forward to. Their gravitation may also have been in part due to their financial issues. A few years after Blake was born, the family fell on hard times. Joe lost his job and had been struggling to find employment for over a year. The bills had piled to a point of overwhelm. It felt like being pinned under dumpster loads of paper and ink that administered a crushing pressure. It had gotten to a point where neither Joe nor Christine... Was really getting any sleep the last two weeks had been nightmarish a strangeness creeping into them every other minute they fell in and out of dreams a mere couple of hours total each night insomnia was all too prominent with those hardships factored in the children were probably more inclined to enjoy a holiday that didn't have a monetary implication tied to it christmas gifts were certainly not plentiful in the mitchell house so what most kids see as a go-to favorite was off the table for them. Halloween, however, really relied more on the spirit of others. Sharing frightening stories, getting boatloads of candy, and taking in people's detailed decor and costumes didn't really require much. The kids had no reservations about just throwing on a costume from a year or two ago if they couldn't afford new ones. Taking a chilly walk around some of the more affluent neighborhoods didn't cost a cent, and they'd be ready to score some full-size candy bars, in no freaking time. Still, no one loved Halloween more than Blake, but this year was gonna be a little bit different. Different in a good way, though. Over the past couple years, Joe recognized how much his son loved the holiday. He'd found a way to scrape together a few extra bucks for the kids this year, understanding that it was essentially their Christmas. He'd given Christine a few dollars last week, and she had already taken Devin and Lexi to grab a costume of their choice. Lexi would be an evil witch, and Devin would be the creepy clown. Clearly, they enjoyed the weird stuff. With the rest of the cash now in hand, Joe was off to take Blake to the Halloween factory, their favorite local outlet store, set up especially for the season. When they arrived, Blake was overcome with excitement, almost not knowing which direction to head first. He decided that he should antagonize an animatronic scarecrow that screamed and jumped forward, jaws agape, when he approached it. The kid was fearless. Joe marveled at his bravery, blinking his drying eyes a few times in an attempt to stay awake. After a few more moments of using fake bladed knives to slice plastic-severed body parts and prodding dead, squishy rats, the boy seemed to have his heart set he'd come across a particularly realistic, spine-chilling mask, Visualized the birth product of a decomposing pumpkin and a skeleton. As you might assume, the boy's eyes fell on the putrid pumpkin and never lifted off of it, the mangled and jagged yellow teeth shooting in different directions, the eyes missing, but somehow staring back into his. Although the disturbing mask was a bit out of their price range, Joe splurged on it anyway. They were in so much debt it made little difference. What the hell? Let the kid have the mask, Joe thought. Halloween only came once a year. It was probably a good gesture to make, considering it would be his last. A few nights later, the Mitchells were treated to a different kind of evening, a silent one, where everyone found rest. Joe and Christine had both passed out, sound asleep beside one another, which was an incredibly unlikely scenario. Of course, this was a more than welcome, wonderful abnormality for a pair of normally red-eyed night owls. The children had also reached a silent slumber, and not a peep could be heard throughout the entire household except for the faint sound of Joe's snoring. The red glow of the digital alarm clock was just a few minutes past midnight when it started. Joe's body began to move. First, he sat up and got out of bed, standing in the darkness motionless while his breathing seemed a bit irregular. In the nightfall, he moved forward to the kitchen. Nearing the round dining table, The rotten pumpkin skull mask laid over a doily in front of him. He slowly picked up the mask as if something else was controlling him and slid it over his head. He continued out of the kitchen, heading toward the children's room, seemingly the puppet of an unknown force. He gently pushed the door open, eyes closed under the mask. He stood only a moment before approaching Blake's bedside. Motionless again, he stood before launching forward violently, mushing the boy's head down into the mattress he lay on with both eyes still closed. Blake began to flail about desperately, but this only caused Joe to apply even more devastating pressure down on his head. Devin and Lexi were awakened by the struggle and faced the horror of a large man that resembled their father wearing a Halloween mask, killing their younger brother blood pooled around the cushion where Blake's lifeless corpse now laid as Joe turned his still-sealed eyes toward Devin. In a matter of seconds, his hands were firmly around his neck, cutting off the airflow, but Devin, being a bit stronger, was able to fight his way out. Lexi and Devin ran out of the room, screaming, as Joe was now drawn back to the kitchen. He removed a large, shiny butcher's knife from the dish drain and headed for the study. Eyes still clamped shut, he reached the room, slamming the door behind him and locking himself inside. He sat down in a chair behind his desk in what seemed like a ritualistic fashion and raised the knife blade up. He drove the blade deep into his torso, emitting no sound as the steel cut through his flesh. He raised it again, repeating the same action, this time the knife buried itself even deeper. Joe paused another moment before elevating the knife firmly against his throat and slitting it from ear to ear. Pete by this time had heard the commotion and made his way into the house. He was greeted by the sound of his daughter screaming in a way that cuts into one's soul. The noises she was making almost sounded inhuman. He knew he needed to call for help immediately. He quickly grabbed the phone. Dialing 911 with both hands trembling.
1: Durham 911, what's your emergency? There's something going on with a young boy. My, my son-in-law. We need the police, please. Okay, what exactly is going on? We got a dire emergency. There's there's a young boy, my grandson, four years old. We, we can't wake him up. The the father locked himself up in a room. We don't we don't know what's going on. Everybody up there screaming. I'm gonna need you to tell me what happened to the boy. I, I don't know, my daughter, she she's up there screaming, her husband's in, he, he's in the study, we, he won't come out, and now the young boy, his son, he's four years old, we can't wake him up. Okay. And I don't know, I don't know what's going on, we need the emergency as fast as possible. Sir, stay on the phone with me, I'm getting some information from you, someone's going to be on the way, Okay. okay? Okay, sir, you said you can't wake your grandson. Does that mean you're close to him? No, I'm not. I, I'm up. I'm downstairs because I had to get the phone. I can go upstairs, though. Where are you trying to wake him up? From, from his... Is he in the room with the man? Oh, hold on, hold on. No. He's in another bedroom. that Oh, my daughter's crying. I don't know... I don't know if he's dead. Christine, is he... Tell me he's breathing. Is he breathing? Sir, sir, are you on the phone? I'm still here. I'm, st- I'm still here. I'm sorry my daughter, she's very okay. upset. She's yelling and screaming. Tell me what's going on with the little boy. We we don't know. He he ain't coherent. Is he breathing? She, she thinks the husband did something that We don't know. We don't know. We need okay. we need a hell of a lot of help over here. My daughter's distraught. The ba- the baby's dead. That's what she thinks the baby's dead. He's not breathing. He's he's completely lifeless. That's my baby too, you know. That's my baby, too! Just make sure you stay on the phone with me, sir. bleeding from the nose!
0: When the paramedics and police broke through the door of Joe's study, they found his body limp, twitching, and still losing blood rapidly. Waterfalls flowing from the self inflicted mayhem. His neck and the deep wounds in his torso seemed to nearly cover his body in crimson. four months later. Joe had been sitting in his cell for what felt like forever now. It was easy to lose track of time on the inside. His court case felt to be going well. It seemed as the jury believed what he was telling them. This, he felt, was most likely because it was the truth. From the moment he laid down that evening, he couldn't recall anything until well past his surgeries. Everything still seemed to be some sort of nightmare, except it clearly wasn't somehow, and he had, in fact, murdered his son. The guys on the inside had nicknamed him the Boogeyman because the the murder occurred in such a manner that it seemed like it was straight out of a slasher movie. Sick fuck. His verdict would be read this week, though, and it seemed like after everything was said and done... ...that his name would be cleared of any intentional malice or wrongdoing. He'd hit the lottery of misfortune and had a bizarre sleepwalking incident... ...due to weeks upon weeks of sleep deprivation. It was almost time to turn in when the CO appeared at his door and unlocked the cell. Another prisoner entered, setting his effects down on the bunk above him. He looked to be in his thirties, about twenty years younger than Joe... He extended his hand up toward him.
1: "'What's up? Mike?'
0: He said, introducing himself. "'Hey, I'm Joe.' He replied, accepting his handshake. "'Shit, I'm dead tired, but I don't mind moving for a good reason. It feel good to be off death row,' he said gleefully. Joe really didn't know how to respond, so he just sat there. "'And what brings you here, my brother?' How do I get the pleasure of sharing a cell with you? Joe scrambled in his mind for a lie, knowing he would only need to survive a few more days inside. He knew bad things could happen to a child killer in there.
1: Armed robbery.
0: He replied inconspicuously.
1: Oh, you bad.
0: Mike dropped his voice to about a third of its prior volume and leaned in towards Joe. Don't tell no one I told you, but... I'm gonna kill Bush. Joe nodded toward him, staring blankly.
1: You wanna help me? I'm um, I'm not really sure. Well I'll be out of here soon.
0: They all finna be done, Daddy. But alright. You sleep on it, my man. Just think about it. Mike said, somehow serious.
1: Alright, everybody in the beds! Lights out
0: The CO's voice hollered. "'ringing out from the end of the tier. "'Joe got to sleep much easier these days. "'Maybe it was the stress or financial burden "'that had been lifted temporarily. "'He was somewhere that he got his three square meals a day "'and wouldn't be homeless. "'But he did miss his wife and children, "'and he was still disgusted with what he'd done "'to his own flesh and blood. "'But for whatever reason, each night he was out like a light. "'Just before the early hours of dawn "'with all the lights out still, Mike sat up, almost as if possessed by something else, and quietly slid off the top of his bunk bed. He wrapped a pillowcase into a tiny ball and moved toward Joe. He struck Joe with the tremendous brute force that saw him staggered while he still slept. He came out of that sleep for a moment, only to be hit with a stiffer second blow, putting him right back down. Mike stuffed the pillowcase down Joe's throat and began to grab for his ear. He twisted and pulled it inhumanly, watching the cartilage redden until the quivering meat had been ripped clean off of his head. At that moment, his eyes opened up slightly, rolling about like marbles on a slanted floor. Holding his head down on the bedding, he stuck his thumb and trigger finger behind his right eye. Once he gained a firm hold, he ripped out with one heartless tug, a maroon sludge followed the eye as it left under the most unnatural circumstances. He beat his head against the concrete wall near the bunk more than a dozen times before removing the second eye with a comparable brutality. Mike then placed the eyes in a cup near the sink and cleaned himself up a bit. He found a string on the floor near a pillowcase and ran it through Joe's removed ear, fitting it around his own throat like a necklace. A few moments later, the lights were on and Mike exited his cell with his new jewelry and headed for the chow hall. A few days later, the jury read Joe's verdict. They found him not guilty on all counts. Could Joe Mitchell really have murdered his own son in the middle of a bizarre sleepwalking incident? Or maybe it wasn't a sleepwalking at all, and that was just a convenient, clever excuse to eliminate another financial burden. Either way, would a jury of his peers have acquitted him of this crime? Or maybe this is just something I dreamt up for your entertainment. Either way, we recommend that you sleep on it tonight before casting your vote on Facebook. And then look for us next week to reveal the answer on the next episode of Evil Examined. Sleep tight.